Bible. All right, if you're not already there, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 6. Uh, I think uh, it's also in your bulletin, and it may or may not be on the screen, and it will be, so you can check that out too. So turn with me to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. The book of Ephesians was written by uh, Paul to the church in Ephesus, uh, a church that he himself planted And the message that we find in this passage is not just a message for the church in Ephesus, but it is a church for us today. And the opening of Ephesians is a celebration of the blessings that are ours in Christ. And in our specific passage, we find a celebration of God's choice. So let's read that, and then I will pray for us. What we'll see is that because God chose us, we celebrate him. Let's look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, and our focus will be on verses 4 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints that are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you chose your children before time began. You chose to make us your children. You chose for us to be holy and blameless in your sight. That choice has nothing to do with us and had everything to do with who you are. As we look at Ephesians this morning, take your word, help us to understand it, and then cause our hearts to praise your glorious grace, for you have blessed us beyond all measure. In the name of your perfect son, we pray, amen. So the story is told of two ducks and a frog. They were best friends. They lived happily together in a farm pond, The three animals would amuse themselves. They would play together in their water hole each day. But then something happened. Summer came, and the pond began to dry up. They realized that they would have to move. This was no problem for the ducks. They could easily fly away to another pond. But the frog, well, he was trapped. Now, the frog was a proud and smart creature, and he believed himself to be the smartest of all the farm animals. He said to the ducks, you know of my great intellect. You know how smart I am. I have come up with a plan so that we, friends, can stay together. And that's exactly what he did. The frog decided that they would take a stick, and each duck would hold one end of the stick in their duck bills. And the frog would grab one with his mouth to the middle, and they would fly away to another pond. The plan worked well. 
So well, in fact, that as they were flying, the farmer looked up in admiration. And as he was watching this unusual sight, he said, well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of that. The frog, being a proud creature, a smart creature too, heard this and opened up his mouth and said, it was me. And the frog came tumbling down. The frog had been really, really smart. Maybe the most brilliant of all the farm animals, but that didn't matter much as he fell to the ground in the end. We're like that frog. We like to take credit. We are prideful. We like for people to recognize what we have done. We like it when people notice what we do. We like to bask in their admiration. Let's celebrate me, we think. And often we take our pride and our desire to be seen and our desire to be noticed and we apply it to our relationship with God. God has given me salvation because I've earned it. Look at all the good things I've done for you, God. God, wow, you're so lucky to have me. God, that sin over there, that sin, you saw that sin. That, that sin, it, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, look at all the good I've done Surely that outweighs that little sin that I've committed for the thousandth time in a row. We want to think that sometimes, and sometimes we act as though we've done something great. We've been someone great. And since that is the case, God has noticed us and recognized how great we are and therefore has given us salvation in response. He celebrates us. He admires us. He owes us. Therefore, he chooses us. We've done the work, or at least some good work, and more good work than bad work, so we think that God should love us and should give us a celebration party. Like an arrogant frog falling from the sky, this passage causes our pride to plummet to the ground. Ephesians shows us that our salvation and our place with God doesn't come from our good works, nor does it come from our good deeds. It comes not from some outweighing of our bad deeds with our good. Our performance doesn't come into play at all when it comes to our election, when it comes to God's choice. Our passage shows us that God choosing us and gifting us with salvation is based not on us, but on him and him alone. It is a work of him and him alone, which should result in us celebrating him and him alone, not ourselves. To put it more simply, because God chose us, we celebrate him. So we're going to expand on all of that with three points today. Let's look at our first point. Because God chose us before time began, we celebrate him. The first part of verse 4 reads, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. This verse tells us that God's choosing was before time began. Before time began as we know it, God made a choice. Verse 4 leaves no doubt that it happened before the world came into existence. Even before humans existed or even before there was a need for a savior, God made a choice to save his people. There was no merit to weigh, no qualities to consider, no personality to judge because there were no humans and no world at all. 
That's when God made his choice to save a people for himself. So how did God make this choice to save us? I think that's a question worth considering. The reason for God choosing, uh, we're only in himself. We see that in verse 4 and 5, which reveal that in love, he predestined us. This choosing that God made before time began cannot be separated from his love. God didn't throw out some dice or pick a name out of a hat. His choosing wasn't random, but it occurred out of love. God loved you before you were even born. Today, if you belong to Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can know that even before your great, great, great grandparents existed, even before the very ground that we walk on came about, God in love chose to save you. And today, if you feel that tug in your soul to put your faith in Christ, that is God saying, I love you. Trust in me for salvation. Verse 5 expands on this biblical idea that God's choosing were only in himself by stating that this was according to the purposes of his will. There was nothing arbitrary about God's choice. Instead, it had everything to do with his good and perfect pleasure, his good and perfect will. So when we think about God's choice, we can't think of it as something that doesn't have a personal connection or it's some random thing that happened without thought. We can't think of it as having anything to do with our goodness, with our merit, or with our accomplishments. No, his choice before time began is grounded in God and in God alone, in his love and in his beautiful, perfect plan. Not only that, but God's choice was made in Jesus. Verse 4 says that, they, that he chose us in him. Colossians chapter 1 expands on this by saying that in Jesus, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything in creation comes from Christ. All that is involved in God's choosing and its fruits depend on him. It was Jesus who became sin for us on the cross. It was Jesus who bore the inconceivable pain of separation from the Father for us. It was and is Jesus who is the agent and facilitator of God, the Father's choice. In Christ, before time began, before we had ever done anything good or anything at all, any wrong at all, we were chosen to be God's people. Hudson Taylor is one of the most well-known missionaries to serve in the country of China. If there was ever a person who could brag about all that he had done for the Lord, it had to be him. The story goes that Hudson Taylor was scheduled to speak at a large church in Melbourne, Australia. The worship leader of the service introduced the missionary in glowing terms. You can imagine the descriptions. He was this great Chinese missionary. He planted many churches. He could speak the language. He could do all these things, and he did it all for Jesus. You can imagine the illustrious glowing terms that this uh, speaker introducing Taylor said. He told the congregation of all that had been accomplished, and then he described Hudson Taylor as our illustrious guest. When Taylor approached the pulpit, he stood quietly for a moment. 
then after a few moments, as he started his message, he said something that I think we need to hear today. He said, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. Hudson Taylor didn't see himself as an illustrious guest. He knew that he served not uh, anything but an illustrious master, and he was just a humble little servant. Taylor knew that before God, there can be no pride or imagined merit. Taylor knew that he didn't save himself. He hadn't earned his salvation. His salvation was a complete work of God from beginning to end. And we need to know that too. Brothers and sisters in Christ, even before you had done anything at all, God chose you in love according to his perfect plan. That reality resulted in one of the greatest missionaries saying that he is but a little servant, and it should result in profound humility and thanksgiving in us. We can't add to our salvation. We can't be prideful because of it. We have no merit to bring. All we can do is celebrate the giver of this great gift of eternal life and eternal joy. All we can do is what verse 6 says, and praise God for his grace, his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved. Let's examine our next point. Because God chose us to be holy and blameless, we celebrate him. God has chosen believers to be different than the world around us. We see this expressed clearly in verse 4 when it says that God has chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. Now, if I look at my life and if I look at yours, I'm sure that you don't seem so holy, right? Maybe you don't seem so blameless. So what does Paul mean here? Well, here Paul is recognizing that a Christian receives Jesus' perfect record of righteousness. When God saved you, he immediately justified you. You were declared innocent before him. In the courtroom of God, you were declared innocent of all the sins that you have ever committed, past, present, and future. You were declared free from the just penalty that should have been yours. Jesus took the penalty instead. He did it on the cross. He did it with his life. And because Jesus is holy and blameless, God now sees you as holy and blameless. But God was not finished with you in that moment. No, Paul doesn't just have our positions before God in view here, but also our actions and our thoughts. Though he sees your sin, God first sees your Savior and does not count your sin against you, but sees you as holy and blameless. Though it is true, you actually still do sin. You really still sin. You know that. I know that. We all still sin. So now God says, I've declared you holy and blameless. In Christ, that is exactly what you are. Now live like it. Go and live like the innocent person that I see you as because of my son. Later on in the book of Ephesians, after Paul tells us how God has chosen us, not based on who we are or what we've done, but because of himself alone. And after he tells us that God has made us holy and blameless, he tells us how to live in light of all of that because of Christ. He says it in a more condensed way in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So because you were chosen in Christ before time began, your new identity at the moment of conversion is that of a holy and blameless saint. Now scripture says, go and live like it. We haven't been chosen to remain sinners, but to become holy like our heavenly father is holy. Maybe you've uh, been to an airport, maybe not recently because of the pandemic, uh, but if you've ever been to an airport, um, you may have seen passengers who are on standby. If you're on standby, you're waiting around to see if you will actually be able to get on a flight and get to where you're going. You don't have a confirmed ticket. You don't have a confirmed seat on the plane. You might, but you might not. You can sometimes observe the differences between those on standby and those who have a confirmed ticket on the plane. The ones with a confirmed ticket, they play on their phones, right? They chat with their friends. They might even take a nap. The ones on standby, though, what do they do? They hang around the counter. They keep going up to the counter and saying, hey, do you have any new information for me? And then they'll go for a little walk. And then they'll come back and bother the attendant at the counter again. And then they'll go for another walk. And they'll do it again and again and again. And, and they pace back and forth and back and forth because they, well, they don't have any assurance, right? They don't know what's going to happen. There's no confidence. Those with a confirmed ticket are confident. They know where they're going. They know what's going to happen. And those who don't have a confirmed ticket are, are, are freaking out. What are they going to do? One has confidence. The other does not. And some of us today are probably pretty confident that we've been chosen by God, that he has saved us, that he sees us as holy and blameless, that we have a ticket on the plane. Others, maybe we're not so confident. Often we want to know, am I truly saved? So how can we know? Well, Ephesians 1.4 gives us some ideas. If or is your life marked by a pursuit of holiness, where you see yourself becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like the world? Is your life marked by you becoming more holy and blameless? Do you see yourself turning from your sin in repentance ever more to Christ? If so, if you see yourself obeying and living like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can have confidence and assurance of your salvation. You can sit down and Maybe not take a nap, but you can be at rest. But if your life is characterized by a pattern of conscious sin, if you see yourself full of greed or full of gossip or hatred or unforgiveness or evil thoughts, if you see yourself committed to those kinds of things, well, today, maybe you're not a Christian. And if that's you today, then today's the day to repent. Today's the day to turn to Christ and say, God, I, I've sinned against you. I see what I'm doing. Forgive me of my sins. And his arms are open wide, ready to receive you. Now, God's choice, our salvation, what does it do? It ultimately results in holiness. He brings it about in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we observe that happening, we should celebrate. Look what God's doing. He's working in my life. This is amazing. We should do what verse 6 says. Praise God for his glorious grace that he has freely given us in the beloved. Let's look at our last point. 
Because God chose us to be his children, we celebrate him. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God chose you to be his child. Because of God's choice and Jesus' work, you, an orphan, because of the fall, can now call God your father. Amazing, that is. And sometimes we forget that it is a wonderful privilege to be able to turn to God and say, God, I need you. Dad, I need you. Come and help me. God has chosen you to be his child. Like Jesus calling his father, uh, his God, God is father in the gospels. This is something that you get to do too. Listen to Paul again in Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you have that spirit of adoption? Do you sense that God is your father? You think of him and address him as dear dad. Because you can. You belong to Jesus. If the answer is not yes, then it may be because God is not your spiritual father, and therefore you need to heed the words of Scripture and receive him. But John 1.12 says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. My wife and I are in the process of adopting. Uh, it's been a long process. Uh, we thought it would take maybe two years, and I think we're in year three at this point. Uh, we've been matched uh, with our child, uh, and hopefully sometime next year we'll get to fly over to South Korea and pick up our kid. Now, what have we been doing over those past two, three years? Well, we've been doing lots of paperwork. We've been reading books, we've been reading articles, uh, and then we filled out some more paperwork. We've raised money, we've saved money, we've done a whole, whole lot in order to be able to adopt a child who we can welcome into our home. But what has the little boy done? In any sort of adoption scenario, what has that child done in order to be brought into that family? Nothing. He's just welcomed in. And that's you. In Christ, that's you. God's done all the work. He sent his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So that you can be a son or daughter of the king. God welcomes you in. You are his adopted child, his adopted son or his adopted daughter. At the moment you put your trust in Christ, there's no paperwork to fill out. There's no class to take. There's no merit to bring or good deeds to bring. You are welcomed in. You are no longer a rebel. You are God's eternal son and daughter. God says, come on in. I love you. You're mine. Our salvation is his work from beginning to end. There's no room for bringing merit. There's no room for pride. So what should we do in response? Well, we should celebrate. Because God chooses us, we celebrate him. As verse 6 says, praise God for his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the beloved. So as we come to an end, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, we've seen that, right? God's chosen us. We have nothing to bring. He did all the work from before time began. Now we celebrate him. Celebrations are fun, right? Hopefully, uh, over the next few months, uh, as the pandemic winds down, we'll get to celebrate 
We'll get to go to parties, maybe for the first time in a year or two even. We'll get to go and, and, and congratulate a married couple for uh, getting married. Maybe we'll get to go to a birthday party. Maybe we'll get to have uh, a great picnic at the park. And it's going to be a great time, full of joy, full of happiness, full of congratulating each other, full of, 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 of love. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be a happy moment of praise, of joy, and of celebration. The atmosphere will be wonderful. And if you belong to Jesus, you have every reason to every single day live like you're in the midst of a celebration. We have been chosen before time began because of God's love and his good purposes. And that choice gives us reason to rejoice Great reason to praise and great reason to celebrate. We have no reason to have pride because of it. It is because of Jesus. He has done everything. He is everything. So let's celebrate. You are holy and blameless before God. You are his adopted child. God has done it all. We are his. What undeserved riches are ours in Christ. We are blessed beyond measure. Each day is a day to wake up and celebrate God. When we come to church, we should be thrilled. We're with God's people, his other sons and daughters. When we go to work, we should be thrilled because we get to be amongst people who may come to know Jesus. Every day should be a day where we get to be grateful and live out of joyful gratitude, knowing that we belong to him and that the work is done. Ephesians 1.6 is a verse that I've quoted over and over again this morning. And it is what I will end on too. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. May our lives be lives of praise and celebration because we are in Christ, chosen by him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for choosing us, your children. We don't deserve you, but you choose us anyway. Thank you for making us holy and blameless in your sight. Help us to live like it through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for doing all that you have done. In moments of need, in moments of want, in moments of thanksgiving, we praise you. Each day is a day where we get to thank you for what you've done. Each day is a day where we get to live out of joyful gratitude, knowing that we belong to you and the work is finished. Some days it's hard, some days it's not. No matter what, help us to praise you. In the glorious name of Christ we pray, amen. Let's uh, confess our faith together by reading the Apostles.